The repetition of every skill is the preparation for sex. No, it's for success. Musician, author, speaker. Kenny Aronoff is part of a, an elite group of individuals where success and longevity within the music industry is not measured in years, but decades, having worked with some of the biggest names in the industry. And through my conversation with him, you'll be surprised to learn that the keys to his success and guys like Steve Lukather and Lee Scalar are the qualities that they bring to the stage or the studio long before they even touch their instruments. How do I get from A to Z? And it's discipline. It's just repetitive. I have a thing called RPS. The repetition of any skill is the preparation for sex. 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 <laughs> sex. The repetition of every skill is the preparation for sex. No. It's for success. And, um, and, and, and that means that it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. We're not robots. Look it. We're not born successful. The success doesn't land in our lap. It's like a math equation. Zero equals zero. If you think you're going to get something by doing nothing, you might get lucky once. The importance of being easy to work with and understanding that within the music industry, as within most industries and aspects of life, it boils down to human relationships. When you connect with people and start communicating with them, and I mean looking them in the eyes, and have a connection and communicate on a personal level, now you can collaborate. Now you can do something. Why did Don was he said it in my my book, my autobiography, you know, Sex, Drums, Rock and Roll. He said, um, I hire Kenny because he saves my sessions. I hire Kenny because he motivates the room. I want him in the room. So that's not even about playing the drums at that point. So if I were to assume that probably anybody that's playing at your level, that this is something they figured out, that it's about relationships, would that be an accurate assumption or would you say that this is really something that's um, probably not as commonly understood as what I might think? I would say that um, the people that are continually being successful, you know, that I have like, not, not like, five years or 10 years, we're talking about like a Leland Sklar, you know, 55 years as a bass player and still doing it. He's, and, and, and Steve Lukather, who both of these guys I interviewed. And, and, and it was kind of like what you were asking. I was like, why Leland? Why you? Look, I'm looking at this discography, which took me 10 minutes to even get through the, the, this, the basic ones. Look at 14 albums with, you know, James Taylor. It's not just your playing, dude. Why Leland? And this touches on what you're saying. It's they want this guy around because it's not just his playing. His per, it's his personality. It's his vibe. You know, when I, when I look at this business, you know, we all show up with chops. If you get called, you got some. But I've always kind of looked at my gig as also being somewhat a cheerleader on things. You know, there's so many guys that become wallpaper on yeah. sessions where I really try to maintain a, you know, an enthusiasm during the course of the project. James Taylor could hire 20 great bass players in LA. Why did he pick Leland? Because he likes him. Leland makes James feel good. So there are people like this to answer your question, but there's not millions of them, I'll tell you that. There's a lot of talented people that nobody hears about. 
You can't make it on just talent alone. There's these other parts. And so that narrows the playing field. So you get a handful of people that are this. They've got the talent. They've got the experience. They don't set it and forget it. They work hard and they get along with people. People, humans, we are feeling creatures. It's all about connecting and communicating. You know, so you've got a background in classical music, which I have to imagine that in the rock world <laughs> makes you kind of unique. But do you feel like that gave you any advantage? Well, it did. And I didn't understand that. That's a great question. I'm so old that when it was time to go to college and in my family, that was the thing you do. You go to college. So I picked music, but there was no school of rock. This was 1971. There was no school of rock. And I decided I'm not going to make a living as a jazz major which in some ways I wish I had studied drum set through college because I didn't. I studied timpani. I studied marimba. I won a, con a violin concerto, a virtuoso violin concerto that I saw Itzhak Perlman, one of the greatest uh, you know, violinists in the world, yeah. an Israeli guy. I saw him use this piece as an encore and in my, I knew, and this was when I was a freshman, I knew four years later I was going to have to do a mallet piece, a marimba piece, on my senior recital because I was a performance major. And I was at the number one school of music in the country for classical music, Indiana University School of Music in Bloomington, Indiana. It's now called the Jacobs School of Music. I saw him perform that. I went, okay, four years from now, that's going to be my marimba piece for my senior recital. And you have to do four pieces. I practiced that piece two hours, sometimes three hours a day for 365 days. It's like a violin concerto. Last place is... I'm doing that on marimba. My teacher had me audition for a concerto competition. I win. I am now the guest soloist in an opera hall at IU, bigger than the New York Met, with a 60-piece orchestra in a tuxedo in this gorgeous opera hall, scared shitless, because I'm now up front. I've never done that before. Percussions usually in the back. The discipline and the musicality that I learned from that experience where that education served me is when you do things like the Kennedy Center Honors, which is like, that's the Super Bowl of gigs. If you can't read music, you're not there. You gotta be able to read music like a mofo. And playing in an orchestra or any musical ensemble even a rock band, but an orchestra, you've got 60 to 90 people. You learn how to be a team player. You learn yeah. how to shut your mouth and listen to the boss. And you learn how to deal with us. When it's a 16 camera shoot, the drummer doesn't make a mistake. It taught me so much discipline that I don't just play drums in those events. I get the script of the show and read. Okay, Don Henley walks in, then, then Dolly Parton walks that way. I know the tempo. I know who to count off, when to count off. I know who's reading the teleprompter. I know to look at the musical director. I know to look at the stage manager. I got the whole thing mapped out because when they go, 
If a drummer makes a mistake, you just messed up the entire event. And this is filmed and recorded. So I don't want to make a mistake. I got Sting coming up to me, Lady Gaga, Bruno Mars, Chris Cornell. Hey, would you do this? Would you? Yep, write it down. So that classical music taught me all this discipline and preparation. For somebody who's not a drummer, when I look at the classical instruments that you studied, timpani, marimba, I mean, these are tonal percussion instruments. You're not just contributing uh, to the rhythm or keeping time. You're actually adding melody. So fast forward throughout your career as a, a drummer, do you see your understanding of melody having also given you any advantage or, or Absolutely. So I'm very aware of chord changes, even if I can't say what chord it is. But I'm listening to the chord changes. I'm also listening to how I fit in with everybody like I did in an orchestra. And I'm definitely aware of melody. And I'll even on my charts write the melody out as a cue. Like um, like I'm learning right now by uh, you know Van Halen, Sam Hagar sings. So it starts off with this piano thing before I even come in. I, and then I started to realize it doesn't start on the beat. It starts one sixteenth note off of the beat. So you go one, two, three, four. Well, with my knowledge, I, I had, that was the first thing. Then I realized all the accents I'm doing are not on the beat. It's one sixteenth, one sixteenth off. Three, four, one, and I'm doing fills. Well, because I understand melody, I wrote that piano part out, the rhythmical part, and memorized what he's actually doing. We also talked about the benefits and the risk of the growing use of AI, artificial intelligence, within the creative and songwriting process. AI, the way I look at it, it's like, if I tried to sound like an outstanding drummer out there, I, I could only get close because I'm not that person. I don't, I'm just not that person. I can get close, I can imitate, but I'll never be that person. There's only one of that person. So AI will expedite things and they will give people, they will satisfy people because they're familiar. Oh, that sounds like, Mm. Oh, that feels like, oh, that's really good. Wow, that's pretty good. But after a while, you're going to want something more because the human, your human yeah. is always searching for something. You want familiarity, but you're like, you're changing by, by the second. So you want something different. That's what's, it's, that's what's so magical about two people connecting and talking and having a relationship. It's, it's, it's changing by this microsecond. And AI can imitate that, but it's not going to be the same as a human. Yeah, AI is a tool. It can make things easier. And what I worry about is with younger developing musicians, you know, will it create a shortcut in the development process? When I look back at my own experiences, some of my most valuable lessons came from sucking, standing on a stage, making mistakes. You know, it was through that process of trial and error that you develop grit, you develop your technique, you find your sound. And I just wonder if AI will make some musicians complacent where, you know, they, they come up with a part and they just go, yeah, this is good enough. Let's roll with it. You can't shortcut experience. That's what you're saying. You yeah. can't. You got to put the time in. You think AI can make an NFL player? Hell no. Can they help in maybe the process of learning? 
Yes, but the human still has to do it. AI is a tool. You said it. It's a tool. But do not, it, don't let it be, become you because it'll never be you. We also took time to talk about his podcast and the guests and the topics, which range anywhere from music to comedy to business. And his objective of pulling out the lessons learned, both the good and the bad, from the life and career experiences of his guests. I want to get into like the grit and what makes somebody successful in life and in business and through their personal stories and real life experiences. That's what I'm trying to do. Like, like I, I got like, um, Joey Belladonna from uh, Anthrax today. I want to go like, all right, Joey, you're the lead singer in Anthrax is one of the first, the biggest thrash metal bands at the, at the, the, the peak when it was becoming this new, you know, art form. How did you get, and I'm going to ask him that question today, from when you were a kid to that? And so that's what I want. And it it could be in business. I talked to Bill Burr about it. I went, how did you, you know, he wanted to be a drummer, but how did you get to that, to holding a microphone on stage? I want the listeners to see these stories of how these people may have failed at first, like Dee Snyder was broke. Dead, broke, out of money with Twisted Sister after 12 years. Had no money because they had a, sh- a shit deal. I wanted the, the people to see that these guys had challenges. And they had all kinds of, they were struggling to make it. And it wasn't like they just were born famous. You know, I want to show the glamorous parts and not the glamorous. I want people to be, I want people to learn. And I'll tell you what was pretty cool about our, our conversation is in looking back at my career experiences, I can say that much of what we talked about is as applicable to the corporate world as it is to the studio, from the boardroom to the stage. And it's easy to see why Kenny Aronoff is in as much demand as a motivational speaker as he is a musician. One of the most important things when I give speeches and when I talk is it's all about your your passion. How do you feel? Forget about I mean, thinking, thinking are just words. They're just thoughts. But passion, that's, that's how you feel. That's who you are. Nobody can say, well, you don't feel that way, Dean. Well, yeah, I do. No, you don't. But I do. So that is the essence and the focus. That's your purpose. That's your bliss. That's your, 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 your truth, your passion. That is what will fuel you. That's your fuel to work hard, be self-disciplined, and persevere when you live your life by your purpose, your deepest desires, you're unstoppable, undeniable, and you are 100% authentic. You are doing what you are. I'll share with you that a couple of years ago, I was complaining about all of the negative content on social media. And one of my daughters, I guess she got tired of listening to me bitch about it. And she said, look, dad, it's not going away. And if you don't like the content that's showing up in your feed, then why don't you create the content you'd like to see? And, you know, know, that's kind of uh, how I ended up doing what I'm doing right now. But I'll say that Kenny Aronoff's content is absolutely the kind of content that I like in my feed, and and you may like it as well. It's it's informative, it's entertaining, and it's motivational. And I think you'll find that uh, it's relevant and applicable to many aspects of your life. 